On this edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, saving the earth through multi-agency collaboration. It's Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. Welcome to FedGov Today with Francis Rose. FedGov Today TV this week features a close look at the Pentagon's cloud posture and DHS's zero trust journey. You'll see the JWCC program manager at DISA, Ryan MacArthur, and Ken Bible, the chief information security officer at DHS, on this Sunday's edition of FedGov Today TV. It's on Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 in Washington, broadcast live on our YouTube channel, too. And you can always find the show on demand at FedGovToday.com. Scientists could save the Earth from an object that's coming at us from outer space thanks to a test NASA's done. The Double Asteroid Redirection Test Team at NASA, called DART, has proven it can change the path of something coming toward Earth by smashing a spacecraft into it. Brian Key is Program Manager and Scott Bellamy Mission Manager, both in the Planetary Missions Program Office at the Marshall Space Flight Center at NASA. They're finalists for a Service to America medal in the Career Achievement category. Gentlemen, welcome. It's great to talk to both of you, and congratulations on this recognition. Brian, I start with you. What is your work specifically to the mission of the test team? Welcome. Uh, yes, and it's good to be here and talking to you. Um, I am actually the manager of the program office uh, in which DART uh, resides as a mission. Um, we've got several programs, Discovery, New Frontiers, and Solar System Exploration. Uh, DART is, it falls in, into the Solar System Exploration Program. Um, and is part of the planetary defense uh, effort within NASA and within the planetary science division at uh, NASA headquarters. Um, we are charged with uh, executing missions once they're selected uh, and making sure that the, the mission teams uh, work through all of their issues and concerns before the launch happens and uh, we try and help them out in any way that we can, providing support uh, from within NASA, uh, from any center. And uh, if we don't have that specific area of support from a center, we pull in expertise from industry or from acad academia and uh, make sure that we get the right people to do the right job. And uh, I'll let Scott uh, talk more about specifically DART since he was the mission manager within our office uh, for DART. Scott, welcome. Go for it. As Brian said, thank you for having us. It's uh, always an honor to get to participate in things like this. As Brian said, I'm the mission manager uh, for Planetary Missions Program Office, uh, specifically in this case for DART. What that means uh, for us is that I run the day-to-day -day interactions with uh, the project leadership, the project manager, the deputy project manager, their science lead, as well as well, my with my counter or work with my counterparts at headquarters. And as Brian said, uh, you know that's like the the fundamental basic part of uh, what I have to do daily, weekly, monthly, and <clears throat> we have a, uh, a larger staff back at the office that provides us uh, engineering support, uh, safety and mission assurance support, uh, business office support, and and so 
together we work with you know the different pieces of the project team to do what Brian said, you know, make sure that they are being taken care of, that they're getting their funding on time, if they're working through a technical issue, uh, that it's being well seen to. And so my interaction is, uh, like I said, you know, I have to build a relationship with the project leadership, you know, on Dart. Uh, you know, the project manager. Ed Reynolds, the deputy project manager, Caitlin Shear, as well as their lead systems engineer, uh, their business manager, and build that relationship so that we have that element of trust. You know, they can come to me with something and they know that I am going to uh, protect their interest as well as what I need to do to execute my role. And we don't want to, uh, like, if, like if something comes up, uh, something doesn't perform as expected, or when they're building the spacecraft, uh, something you know, didn't get built you know, to the specifications because you know, the DART team itself you know, when they were building the spacecraft, you're talking well over 200 people. Yeah, you know, at uh, at the Applied Physics Laboratory, and then they have partnerships uh, developing the different pieces of the spacecraft. So you've got uh, one company that built the solar array panels. Uh, you have uh, the in-house team there built the Draco telescope, which was. It wasn't built as a science instrument, but granted, we got back a lot of information that is you know, used for science. Its main purpose was to make sure that they could you know, see the little asteroid and uh, use the onboard software to target it and fly it where it needed to go. So it's <clears throat> a lot of people, uh, you, you know, most of the teams I have on different missions, the, the working relationships are great. It's like, you know, everybody's together for about seven years until <laughs> they start the mission. So it becomes a big family. And uh, that's kind of the best way to, you know, develop that relationship is to become a member of the family. Brian, the uh, biography from the partnership says that you, quote, kept the sprawling project on track by overseeing funding, staffing, scheduling, and technical issues, and coordinating with outside organizations such as the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory. What is that coordination like in a mission such as this when you're working with governmental organizations, non-governmental organizations, academia, and so on? Uh, I imagine with the funding, staffing, scheduling, technical issues, you're interacting with contractors. There's a lot of inside and outside of government coordination going on at the same time it sounds like uh, absolutely um, and like Scott said uh, it's it's basically the way we try and execute our missions is uh, every team is a family uh, we are very open and honest uh, amongst the team members uh, and encourage them to be open and honest with us uh, that's the only way that we can really attack the issues and make sure that we resolve them to the satisfaction of everyone. So 
it, it's really just a, a family uh, working through problems uh, to the best ability that we have. That requires soft skills as much as the technical skills that, that go in, you know, the science and so on that go into it, it sounds like. Is that fair read, Brian? It, it is. In fact, I would say that the soft skills are probably more important in this environment. Uh, everyone on the team is, is coming at this with a technical background. They have the expertise. They don't always have the soft skills to relate you know, to other people, which is what is very important. I want to go back to the beginning of this mission. Again, reading from the partnerships bio of you gentlemen, a moonlet named Dimorphos uh, was the target here. Uh, it says that you directed a project for the first time in history, redirected a planetary object and demonstrated humanity's ability to hit and deflect a potentially catastrophic asteroid. I'll direct this to either one of you uh, to which it's appropriate. Did you see this moonlet? Or did someone see this moonlet and say, this is an opportunity to test this? Or did you say first, or did someone say first, we would like to test this and we'll go searching for an object on which we can test it? I think the yes and no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have to reach back uh, many years uh, where Congress started wanting to push more on discovering asteroids, you know, potentially hazardous objects that are out there and their orbits cross Earth. Uh, like if you're familiar with OSIRIS-REx, you know, the asteroid Bernou is an Earth-crossing asteroid. So I think it's over 400 plus 60-odd days. Uh, it either flies in front of us or flies behind us. And so with you know the growing interest from the community out there uh congress as a result of a nasa paper that was written some number of years ago you know they started pushing us to develop the capability to find uh potentially hazardous asteroids objects then we started for many, many, I'd say almost like a couple of decades, uh, maybe not that long, but, you know, you've seen, you know, the typical movies out there of an asteroid is approaching Earth and we're going to go do this to it to get rid of it. And uh, I'll, I'll leave out the name of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's, uh, you know, at least three competing ideas. One of them is a kinetic impactor like DART, you know, hit the asteroid to change its uh, trajectory. Uh, there is the nuclear option to try to turn big rocks into little bitty rocks. Uh, and then there's another one that's I've started hearing more about over the past few years called a gravity tractor, where, you know, you build a spacecraft that has enough mass that you can put it into position next to the asteroid and gently tug it off course. Uh, fourth idea I'd like, uh, and I haven't seen much traction really on that one, is you build a spacecraft that's capable of, you know, you know, gently coming up against the asteroid and then using its thrusters to, you know, show it out of the way too. As and one of the uh, I'll jump 
a little bit ahead. Uh, one of the challenge, a couple of the challenges, is you have to find the asteroid early enough to formulate a response, and then you have to get to it, because if you find it too far away, then it's going to take you several years to maybe get there and uh, execute your plan. And if you find it too late, you're going to have to hit it with something even bigger or move it with something even bigger to change the angle between its trajectory and Earth. You know, you want to move it somehow. One of the science team members for DART at APL came up with this idea to go out and find or go out uh, we knew about the Didymo system. It had been observed before. And from the observations, they also knew that it had this small moonlet named Dimor that is now named Dimorphos. So Andy Chang at APL, you know, they've been discussing how do you demonstrate this? How do you demonstrate this? And he said, literally, you know, literally one morning, while he was getting ready for work, he came up with the idea of build this spacecraft, fly out to Didymos, and see if we can uh, successfully demonstrate a kinetic impactor to alter the orbit of an asteroid. So that's how this, we got there. Brian, I want to go back to that funding, staffing, scheduling, technical issues, coordinating with outside organizations. How does that look different if it does in an environment like you're working in compared to what somebody might be doing in another organization? Is is that work different because of the nature of the space mission or are those uh, techniques and tools and procedures, best practices, uh, the same in the kind of work that you're doing just applied to a different mission than somebody else is doing? Uh, I, I believe that the, the processes, procedures, you know, that we use can be applied throughout any industry. Um, the uniqueness that we have to work with uh, in the missions that we do is they're quite often time constrained. Uh, there are specific launch dates, launch times that we have to hit, and, you know, you have to plan the mission well enough ahead of that in order to execute that mission. Uh, if you don't hit that launch date and launch time, uh, we can experience launch delays on the order of years on some of our missions. Uh, and that becomes very costly. So it, it's, it's, it's the same processes, the same procedures uh, for anyone. It's just that the, the external factors are what really impacts us the most. And that's what becomes important to us. Gentlemen, it's fascinating work, a wonderful story. I look forward to uh, learning more about the work that you're doing over time. And I look forward to meeting both of you at the Big Sammy's Gala. And I thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You can read more about the DART team's work in today's show notes, fedgovtoday.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of FedGov Today, the Federal Emergency Management Agency's modernizing one of its most important systems. The FEMA Grants Outcome Platform will be a cloud-based system, 
On the latest edition of FedGov Today TV, I asked the CIO at FEMA, Charlie Armstrong, about his agency's cloud posture. A lot of the new programs like FEMA Go uh, have been built on cloud. Uh, we recently moved our, uh, a lot of our flood map uh, uh, information over to GCP. That work was completed in January. So I feel really good about the fact that we've done a lot in cloud. We still have legacy systems that we need to migrate and we're working through uh, that workload now. We've moved about probably 25% of the workloads uh, out of our, our data center and into a, a cloud environment. Uh, we've got uh, a fair amount of work left to do as we figure out how do you get uh, data out of our legacy Oracle databases and into uh, something that's more cloud-based. So. At what point do you think the, the, your cloud journey will, uh, maybe you, uh, maybe that's something else that's never done. Maybe that's something that's a, uh, an ongoing uh, journey too? Well, I think, you know, even once you get there, you're still doing transformation, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've learned the importance of the difference between hybrid cloud and getting into cloud native, right? And so I, I think our f first focus is let's just get to cloud and let's get out of owning and operating a lot of our own stuff and then really work on, okay, so we've got a lot of things moving to FEMA Go. So I, maybe I don't have to worry about doing as much uh, transformation work in the legacy system when it comes to things like that. But I've got also got systems that don't have a modernization plan in place yet. And so we're going to need to transform those systems, move them to cloud native and help uh, elongate their uh, service life cycle uh, a few more years until they can we can get to them. Shame on me for getting this far into a conversation with a federal CIO and not talking about cyber. You have uh, just gotten authority to use the cyber talent management system that the Homeland Security Department fought for, worked for for a long time. What does that look like from your perspective, Charlie? Yes, I'm, I'm very delighted with our authority around uh, cyber talent management system. Uh, we've been working with DHS headquarters quite a bit on it. We actually uh, made our first offer uh, this week uh, to an individual, not for my shop, but for uh, one of our for our Edmi shop, uh, Adami shop, which is our analytics. Uh, so our first uh, CTMS employee will actually be working in our analytics and AI area. Uh, under Dr. Julie Waters. Uh, we, we have a number of positions that are open in CTMS and uh, we're continuing to kind of go through the lists and, and make, uh, make offers to folks. But uh, quite frankly, it's a who gets their first wins uh, environment. There's a lot of very talented people uh, that are coming in through that process and agencies are snatching them up pretty quick. So uh, we've been a little slow off the dime, but we're gonna speed up our process there and and really try to make sure that we're leveraging that. What does that look like for you long term? Is there a certain number of people or is there a certain type of talent that you expect to bring in through that system that you haven't been able to or able as fast to before? Or is it just the idea that it's there and you can want to leverage it well, as much as possible? Well, we're actually doing a combination of we're doing this uh, syrup, which is uh, cyber uh, incentive and retention pay uh, and CTMS. So I want to be able to both leverage uh, those two systems in order to attack, attract and retain talented cyber professionals across all of FEMA, not just within the IT shop, right? And so uh, I think with the CTMS, we're looking at bringing in 
skill sets that we maybe don't have today uh, as opposed to trying to retain the skill sets that we already have. So I'm going to talk a little bit probably during our show about our move to zero trust uh, and the shift in the architecture around that and why we need some of these newer skill sets and uh, ways of thinking about things and, and solving these problems. I'd love to have you come back and talk about those things. We have about a minute left. The time that you spent in government before was different than your time in government now at FEMA. In what ways, Charlie? How's things, how have things changed since the last time you were in government? Well, I don't know if it's a change in government so much as uh, I've gone from a, an environment where you had a very centralized IT shop to a very decentralized IT shop. And uh, there isn't a wrong model, it's just you know the model that you're working in, right? So uh, I'm learning how to do more orchestration of things that might necessarily be, not necessarily be directly under my control, uh, but still very important to the mission. So uh, where I don't have as big of a challenge around convincing operators to invest in IT because they actually own it, uh, I can focus more on the quality and uh, what they do with it uh, and that standpoint. And then the biggest thing is for my six-year sabbatical in working with industry, I've upskilled my uh, abilities and now I'm able to bring in a little bit more innovation and figure out how does it help the mission, things like biometrics and AI and those kind of things. You can watch the entire conversation with Charlie on demand at fedgovtoday.com and the FedGov Today YouTube channel. The GovForward FedRAMP Headliner Summit's coming August 23rd at the Waldorf Astoria in D.C. I'll be your MC for the day with speakers from GSA, Capitol Hill, and industry. You can read more about the event and sign up at govforward.com. Thanks very much for listening. I know you're busy and you might not catch all of the shows that FedGov Today offers you. If you want to keep up with everything that we're releasing, just follow the show on LinkedIn to get the very latest updates. The next episode of the FedGov Today podcast is coming next Tuesday. Hope you'll join me then. Thanks very much for listening.